This is episode seven of the Online Course Guy podcast. I am Jacques Hopkins, the Online Course Guy, and this is the show where we show you how to turn your hobby or passion into a profitable online course. I was able to do just that with the piano, and now, after being an engineer for eight years, I'm proud to say I support my family with the income from my online piano course. I'm also joined today, as usual, by Nate Dodson, who is hard at work on his own online course. What's up, Nate? What's up, Jock? How are you doing up there in Indiana? Pretty good. It's starting to cool down a little bit, thank the Lord. It's been a good week in the business and personal life. Things are going good. How about you? Oh, man, we have a tropical storm bearing down on us. It hasn't started raining yet, but I think it's coming very, very soon. So if you hear like thunderstorm halfway through this podcast, it's uh, I think it's Cindy. Tropical storm Cindy is uh, is all over us. I hadn't heard about it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a tropical storm. I think it just entered that category. Um, so it's not a hurricane or anything. But, you know, the tropical storm, it just rained for days. That's all it is. Yeah, um, I, I think we'll get into this a little bit today, but I just like don't follow the news at all. And it's part of what the kind of the topic we're going to talk about today. So I only hear about things when people tell me about them pretty much. Yeah, that's good. I'm sure I'm sure we'll get into that with our topic of the day and reviewing The One Thing by Gary Keller. So what's what's going on in your business the past week? Have you made any more course sales? Yeah, I have actually. I made six sales this week. Actually, I made seven, but one was a re- one was a refund. So after the refund, I did eight hundred ninety dollars in revenue. So that's two branding packages, two courses for ninety nine dollars. That's the first of three payments, and two courses for two ninety seven. So if both those people with the payment plans stick it out um, for three months. You know, my total earnings would have been like, you know, technically like $1,290 for the week. That's a really good week for you. It was great. It was awesome. Are we still getting about 10 opt-ins, 10, 10 email addresses a day? Well, I just looked at my 30-day stats. I just figured out how to do it on the active campaign, and it is um, 12 is my average okay. over the 30 days. It's and been up a little bit the last last week or so, a little bit. Those are those are very good numbers for twelve emails a day. Think about if you had eighty emails a day, right? If the and if the one guy went, if the one guy went and refunded, and all the payment plans went through, that would have been fifteen hundred ninety dollars. You know, potential yeah, but he did, and you know, some of these yeah. others still could as well. So, what is yeah. your refund policy? Thirty days. Okay. Do you do the no whole, questions asked? No questions asked. Did you ask a question to the guy? Well, no, they volunteered information. Okay. And, uh, you know, even said, even like kind of questioned whether they actually wanted a refund. It was a, it was a lady in Belgium. She just said, most of this stuff isn't making sense to me. Like I haven't, cause I haven't even bought any equipment or anything yet. And I was just kind of like, well, she's like, I'm not sure if I should wait and follow it. I was like, well, I'm happy to, you know, extend your refund to 90 days if you wanted to wait and go through the videos once you get started. Or, you know, and stuff like that. And she just, she's like, okay, that sounds good. And then two days later, she wrote back again. She goes, no, I decided I definitely do want a refund. So I don't know if that was the actual reason, but I'm sure the course isn't as valuable to her anyway, since all of the downloads and everything are in English. And those wouldn't have been very usable in her business. So, I mean, she might have made a good decision, but it was just kind of interesting. Yeah, refunds are a tricky thing. You know, I used to say, you know, no questions asked, money back guarantee and all that. I don't use the phrase no questions asked anymore because I like asking questions, man. And because I do so much on my marketing side and I provide a lot of free information, as do you. 
to where you should know exactly what you're getting into with my course. Yeah. And so when you sign up for my course, there there should be no question whether it's the right fit for you or not. Now, I can understand yep. somebody signing up with a lot of aspirations and then never getting to it. That's a different story. And yes, I'm going to give yep. that person a refund too, unfortunately. But when Yeah, someone- mine's the same way. I'm very clear about what they're getting. And when they buy the course, the full course, it also comes with my consultation if they have any additional questions. So, you know, it's like everything. There should be no reason for a refund. I think I might have actually taken the no questions asked off of my pages too a while back. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. What do you do about the questions if someone requests a re- refund? What do you what do you say? Reply back. Well, the question I like to ask is what were you expecting out of the course that you didn't get, right? Because like I said, that should be extremely clear uh, based on the the information I pr- provide ahead of time. And I'm not just talking about a sales video. I'm talking about all the content I'm sending to people in the week leading up to the open cart, you know, situation. Yeah. And really, I mean, it's kind of, I, I'm kind of being a jerk when I ask that question because I know the answer. And those people clearly didn't watch the, the pre-launch videos or, you know, do their proper homework. They just saw, oh, I can learn piano in 21 days. Okay, let's give it a shot. And then they open it up and it's like after five minutes, they're like, oh, wait, this isn't a magic pill. Um, yeah. Let me get my money back. And so I, it's just you got to deal with that. Um, one, yep. one tactic. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't expect to get on the refunds topic today, but I think it's a good topic. One tactic that we can do, and I've never personally tried this, but I, I've thought about it, is you can have some sort of policy with your um, with your refund that in order to request a refund, they have to do they have to accomplish some things. Yeah. So with those people, what you're trying to do is is give refunds to people that tried it, like really gave it a fair shot, and it just yeah. didn't work. So they need to they need to finish some sort of homework or assignment or something to show that they actually gave it a fair shot. And they need to provide that to you in order to to receive the refund. Yeah. I've seen people doing that for sure. Show me the work. I've even seen people say, buy my course, Mike Dillard. I don't know if you've heard of him. He says, buy my course. It's it's like $1,500. And once you implement all everything that you need to do, I'll give you your full money back on the course just for implementing it, which is pretty crazy. And he's, his business is massive. Are you serious? Uh, And he has all these, on his sales page, he has all these pictures of people holding checks for $1,500 that he sent back to them when they implemented everything. That's kind of a cool, powerful, could be a cool, powerful thing too, you know? I mean, his is elaborate email, elaborate marketing system, a lot of work to do. Whereas mine, Microgreens business, they can watch mine and get everything going in a week. I'm, I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> that's that's something to think about if you have a pretty complex course that that's, you're selling for really high price. That's really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm I'm thinking about how would I apply that to mine because yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of a two birds one stone situation. And that yeah, I could literally pitch that like you'll get your three hundred dollars back if you send me a video of you playing the piano uh, up to a certain level. But then yeah, playing your favorite song and telling me why what you got out of the course. Yeah, there's your testimonial. I mean, I'll pay three hundred dollars for a great testimonial. Absolutely, it'd probably be worth doing for a little bit to get some great testimonials, if nothing else, you know. And then you could always quit that policy if it seems like it wasn't returning well. Very interesting. And I'm sure yeah. you wouldn't have to even necessarily do a hundred percent money back either. You could do half of it or yeah. something. Uh, but I, that's a yeah. that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. But in terms of refunds, you know, that that is also interesting because I did have one note I wanted to talk about today. 
kind of relating to that, you know, when we were talking about pricing in an earlier episode, I talked about how with the higher price, you end up charging a higher price, you end up with a higher quality customer. And one, yep. one characteristic of a higher quality customer would be less refund requests. Okay. Yeah. And so what I've noticed, you know, I've got three different packages and within, within each package, there's a payment plan option. So the, the cheapest, the, the lowest amount of money that you can possibly pay me is $19 because on my lowest package, you can pay six months, $19. And then the next lowest amount of money you can pay me is $57 because I think on the next package, it's six monthly payments from 57 and then the next, um, the next lowest would be one-time payment of 97 for the lowest package. Well, what I've found and, and what I've noticed this a few times this week is two things happen um, money-wise that I don't like. People don't make their payment plan payments. Or two is that people request a refund because I have a 30-day policy. And by far and away, the lower the dollar amount, the more likely one of those two things is going to happen. I use a, a service called Stunning. I think it's stunning.co that automatically tracks when people's credit cards fail and it automatically sends them reminder emails to update their credit card information or whatever. And I, I just get a, a notice every time I get a failed payment. And probably 80% of the failed payments are those $19 chargers. And then the next, you know, I would say 19% are the $57 payments and then 1% would be anything else. Absolutely. And then the same goes for refunds. I almost never get a refund request for somebody that paid in full for whatever reason. Like it's somebody that just paid the first payment and it's mostly somebody that like paid the one time, the one payment of $19. So it could be one of two things. It could be people that just sort of like, well, I'm not sure if this is going to work. Let me just go ahead and put up one payment and then, and then I can always get that money back. But I'm, I'm betting it's probably the second option where it's just like people that are kind of cheaper, like, it's just not as high quality of a student or like a, of a customer. Yeah. I think if people put in a high, if they're willing to invest, you know, 300 bucks in something, they're going to start implementing it. They don't want to just waste $300 completely. So they're going to start implementing it. And as long as what you're selling, your course can actually get them results. They'll, they'll know it's work, you know, that it's worth it. But if they just gave you 50 bucks, they'll just like put it down on their to-do list is like, Oh, you know, in a couple months I'll try and take this course and, you know, then they'll just, they won't do it. So they won't obviously get any results. So it'll feel worthless to them. Yeah. And, and while we're on the topic, let me just tell you one other thing that came up this past, past week. I got the most bizarre refund request that I've ever gotten from somebody. <laughs> and it was somebody that had emailed me almost every day after he signed up for the course with his progress. And he was doing so great. And he just had the highest praise for my course. <laughs> and he got like halfway through it. And a, a few days go by and I hadn't heard from him. And then all of a sudden I got an email from him. And he's like, I've lost interest. Can I get my refund? And I'm thinking to myself, man, like, yes, I have a 30 day policy, but you've gotten so much out of this course. Like, that's ridiculous that you just want all your money back, even though you've gone through half my course and you've taken a lot of my time and I'm answering your questions and everything. And so I thought about it for a while, what to do in this case. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons I don't like to have the no questions asked thing, because like, I need to ask this guy questions. Like I've got, yeah. because I really, you don't know, want to help people. And I thought I was helping this guy. Well, he just, um, I think things got a little difficult and he got a little discouraged and he like, he had other things on his mind. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't focused on the one thing by Gary Keller. And he yep. got distracted and he moved on to something else and he didn't want to see those. And, and of course he was a payment plan guy. 
and he didn't want to see those $57 charges keep coming in for something he wasn't sticking with. Yeah. And so, um, so what I ended up doing proposing to him was like, look, you know, you made some really good pro Well, first of all, I opened it with, this is the most disappointing refund request I've ever gotten. And, um, so I told him that and, and why, why that is, but I yeah. proposed to him like, look, let me, let me, I'll cancel your account. I'll cancel your future payments, but I'm not, I don't want to refund you the, the one payment you've already made me $57. Cause you've already, you've already gone through the course. We've already, I've already helped you what I think is a lot. And he was perfectly fine yeah. with that. So, um, I, I think you got a lot of value for $57, but fortunately I didn't have to refund. And honestly, I wasn't worried about the $57, yeah. but my time to go in there and click the refund button to, 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 to fix my accounting, to do all that is, is not even worth it. So I was glad he agreed yeah. to that. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let me, we have a lot so of, when, you see, when, you, when I see a payment plan payment come through, it's like quite a higher chance of a refund than, than a full payment, huh? Yeah. And, and you also, they could get that credit card stolen or, you know, it could see if it expires, you know, sometimes I'll take a credit card over the phone and it's a, and they're signing up for six monthly payments and it expires in three months. I'm like, Whoa, hold on. Like yep. this, this isn't going to work. Oh, and I just thought of one other thing about refunds. You know, half my sales come on the phone. Well, I don't think I've ever had a refund request from somebody I sold to on the phone. That's another advantage of phone call sales. That's awesome. Cause they have that personal connection. I bet they just, they know you're human. They don't want to hurt your feelings probably more than anything, but you can also filter them out and decide if the course is not right for them too. I bet that's a huge part of it. That's probably the biggest factor. Um, another factor is they, they, if they sign up over the phone, they will have never watched my, my full sales video, which really pushes that 30 day refund policy. And so I don't really volunteer that information either, unless they ask about it. Like, yeah. do you have any sort of guarantee or refund policy? And I'll tell them it's 30 days and yeah. it's fine. But so a lot of people that sign up over the phone, they're never even, they're never even thinking about yeah. that. They're never even thinking about that as an option. Yeah. They're just, they're just all in. So uh, that's really good. All right, so we have a we have a lot to get into on today's uh, today's episode. Let me just hit a couple other notes from the past week, and we'll jump into the topic of the day. So I've been moving into the new house the past week. Um, we've slept there the past couple nights. Really nice to have our our own home again. I don't have my uh, office set up yet or anything, but I've got a temporary setup. But what's really cool, you know, online course related, is that I've hardly worked at all the past week because I've been so focused on uh, moving in and and as I should be you know people take off work to 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 move in but but I haven't really seen a dip in my income which is the cool yeah. part about all this yeah I've prioritized my phone calls I get a couple phone calls a day with people um, and so I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll take those phone calls but other than that um, I'm moving in and so I'm still making money. I don't have to take uh, vacation time from work or anything like that. That's that's one cool thing about online courses. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've hardly done anything this week. I've been focusing on my other stuff. So that's pretty freaking sweet. And I just had another $49 come in. So that's that's nice. I'm up like over 900 past, now. Like in the past few minutes? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Congratulations. Thank you. Absolutely. I've got, I've got one other cool thing, too, that I wanted to real quick mention if you unless you have something else you know go ahead uh so i have that facebook group growing and selling microgreens and i just noticed this feature in the settings in the settings for the group under membership requests 
you can ask, you can make people answer questions who want to join your group. You can ask up to three questions and only the administrators and moderators see the answers. And I'm, I'm the only administrator. So now I ask people uh, a couple of questions when they, when they want to join my group. I ask them if they've downloaded my free quick start guide at microgreensfarmer.com. And I ask them what their number one struggle is in um, starting a microgreens business. That's been pretty insightful. And I think it's made more people right when they join the group. You know, so on mobile, you don't even see the pin post, which tells people about my free guide. So, you know, that's probably might be the cause of my increase in opt-ins. That's really cool, Nate. And the other thing is I got a new guitar that I'm pretty excited about. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So what I was going to say about your Facebook group is, you know, building an audience is a good thing, even though you might not know what you're going to do with it in the long run. But if you have these people that, that uh, like you and trust you and follow you, um, there's so many things you can do with it down the road kind of like you did with your email list. And now you're doing that with your Facebook group as well. Yep. So you got a guitar. You know how to play guitar? Oh, yeah. I love love guitar. I got a new, I found one on Craigslist, a Seagull S6 acoustic guitar. It sounds awesome. I'm really excited about it. I've been jamming a lot this week. Did, did you know that you can learn guitar in 21 days? I did know that you have that program. I've never never heard you talk much about it, though. You have yeah. a vocals too, don't you? I, I do, yeah. So in my three packages I offer for Piano in 21 Days, in the top package, I call it the Elite Package. It's $497. Uh, I include my Guitar in 21 Days course as well as my Vocals in 21 Days course. And I've never sold either of those individually. Um, reason is, is because I'm not the teacher of those two courses. I outsource both of those to somebody on Upwork. And I worked together with them, you know, trying to use the same methodologies from my piano course um, on the curriculum. And then I let them handing the, handle the videos and the teaching and everything. And yeah. so I find it very difficult to market those courses when I don't really, I'm not an expert in those fields. Yeah. And I'm not able to make marketing videos like showing how to do things with those. But they go really well as, as an adder to the top end package. Um, because people are like, you know, if I, if I, if this works, if I learn piano in a, you know, in a few weeks, a couple months, um, then I might want to jump into guitar or, you know, sing yeah. along with the piano. So I get, I get a fair share of people that, that sign up for that elite package. And those are, those are two of, of many things that come with it. And those are probably the two best yeah. things that come with it. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I've thought about actually like, you know, now that I know how to make these online courses and market them, I've thought about partnering up with people I know in town that, have cool skills. Like I have friends that started a permaculture nursery that are crushing it. And I just thought like, you know, I can go in there, record a ton of videos for them, record some marketing videos. I have another couple people that have a run a forest school. I could see, you know, they could have a program how to start a forest school, but that's interesting that I, I, I see what you're saying. How it would be, it's hard to continue this evolving the sales process. Cause they might probably don't be involved with that, that stuff on the back end. Well, they would with the proper direction because people like that don't necessarily want to get into the marketing. But if you say, hey, make me a 15-minute video on how to get a really quick win in this area. Yeah, I'll pay you 100 bucks an hour. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I just thought like, you know, if me and you partnered up, we could start a company where we go around and all of a sudden in our in two years, we have a portfolio of 80 80 online courses for sale, you know, with the skills we know, it's just, and we're teaching people all these skills in the podcast, but it's, it's a lucrative business. I feel like right now. Don't give, don't give all your ideas away to the nation, <laughs> to the globe. 
Oh, I'll give all my ideas away. I don't want them. There, I got too many of them. I'll give everyone a list of all my ideas if they want it. All right, Nate, let's, uh, let's jump into the topic because I have a feeling we're going to talk about this for a while. So, uh, you know, I talked about it a little bit on last week's episode is that we were going to do somewhat of a, a book review uh, this week. And it's more of just um, just talking about the key points from from a very popular business book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. And this is, I think, going to be interesting because I know it's one of your favorite books. You've read it several times. Yep. And whereas I am totally fresh to this material, um, I've just read it in the past week in preparation for this episode. And so, I, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I, in the past, I've been really big into business books and self-help books, and I haven't so much lately in the past couple couple of years. But I love them. Um, I just, I guess it's, you know, starting to have kids and things, just having less time for that. But I'm glad to get back into it. It's really motivating to be able to to learn as much about it and get through it quickly because I knew we were going to talk about it on this on this episode. What did so, you think of the book? Well, I'll get there in a second. So okay. um, the the we I chose the one thing because. I saw it. Uh, this I'm, I'm helping a guy locally with um, with a guitar course, and I was over there a few weeks ago. Uh, we were we were working on his course, and he had the one thing on his coffee table, and I I that may have been the first time I'd seen the book. I mean, just a few weeks ago, and this book came out in like 2013, I want to say. So it's not a brand new book. And then you were talking about it, and a couple other people I know were talking about it. Just all within the past couple of months, everybody's right. talking about the one thing by Gary Keller. And so I, I couldn't believe that I hadn't not only hadn't read it, but hadn't heard of it before then, um, because looking into it, I mean, it's just a massive, massive, massively popular uh, business book, self-help book. And so yeah. that's why I wanted to get into it now. I finally read it. And um, so my expectations were they were a little low just because I didn't know what to expect because it's called The One Thing. I know it's about like focus and and you know doing one thing at a time but i didn't really know the extent of it and what i kind yep. of if you if you asked me ahead of time what i expected it was that this guy was going to talk about how you need to be just super focused on one thing in your life and he was going to say that in a lot of different ways throughout the whole book and tell a bunch of different stories about it yeah and that's not how the book is um, nope. The book is super deep. There's all kinds of different topics. There's all kinds of different ways to apply the one thing. He he does not so much stories as he does parables. So they're short parables. Yep. And the book is pretty short. I mean, I I yep. um I like to do audio book as well as Kindle version of books. That way, if I'm just sitting at my computer, I can do both at the same time. Or if I'm reading um, in a in a chair and then I get up to go walk down the street, I can just switch seamlessly. Yeah. And the audiobook is like five hours, and and I'll listen to an audiobook uh, audiobook at two to three times. Um, so it's it's not a long book, but it's jam packed. Yeah, it sure is. So my overall impression is very very positive, and my that's awesome. Wheels are just spinning. Like I just I haven't had time to fully apply the information. And think about how it affects all the things in my life, yeah. uh, but I, but I plan to do that more and more. I've taken a lot of hopefully good notes uh, it, from the book, and overall, I was just super impressed. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's one of my it's one of my favorite books ever. And uh, I went out and got a domino tattoo this week. Did you see that on this thing there? Is that a real tattoo? Just 
No, it's fake. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> I just do it on there with marker right before we got on the thing. <laughs> but it is one of my favorite books of all time. And it's actually the reason that I reached out to you in the first place. We'll get yeah. into that here in a minute. Yeah, I noticed. I, I thought maybe that was the case when he was talking about the coaching part. Man, I yeah. thought you got a real tattoo of a domino for a second. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about the domino effect from the book. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. So the book opens up where he's just kind of talking about the concept of the one thing. You know, one of the quotes is um, like a Confucius quote or something that says, he who tries to catch two rabbits catches neither. And, you know, that's the book kind of opens up with that that quote and that that theme. And that's kind of that's kind of where I thought we were going to stick throughout the entire book is like, hey, dummy, don't focus on two things. Focus on one, because if you yep. focus on two, then you're not going to get either one done. Which is yep. which is true, but like everybody kind of knows that already, and and I didn't want to read a whole book about just that. But to start with, I mean that's absolutely true. Um, if if you're trying to chase too many things, then most of the time you get nothing. At this point, with the way the way the world is, with the internet and, and everything, like the the options for what we can do at any one time is pretty much unlimited. So we've got to um, we've got to focus. He says that extraordinary results are the effect of an extremely narrow focus. And so, you know, I think with with my business and my life, um, I'm absolutely trying to do too much. Like I'm definitely the type of person that wants my wants to have my hand in everything, and I want to try to do everything perfectly. And what this book talks about is no, you know, chaos in some areas is okay. And yep. you've got to really put your attention as narrowly as possible. And he talks about going small um, and that he says that if, if the more specific your attention is, uh, the more productive that you'll actually be. And so, you know, he, he mentions that word chaos a lot, like other things can be chaotic and you have to look at what those other things are. Right. So you can yep. let them be chaotic. The other option is to outsource. And we've talked about outsourcing a lot on this podcast. And I think I'm getting better at better at outsourcing. And I think I need to continue to do that for certain things. And yep. it doesn't just have to be business wise, right? So like if you need to cut your grass, think about whether that's really what you should be doing in that moment. Should you be cutting your grass or should you be doing your one thing business wise, or you should be, should you be um, hanging out with your family? Personally, I love cutting grass. That's not something I want to outsource. Yep. Like I, I put on an audio book. I cut my grass. I love it. But for other people um, who, if you don't like cutting grass, then I don't recommend you let it grow for three feet. Get somebody yep. to cut your grass for you. Yeah. Especially if you figure out how much your time is worth. That's kind of, that's really hard to do, but there's ways you can Google ways to estimate how much your time is worth. And, and if your time is worth a hundred dollars an hour and you could pay someone 20 bucks to cut your grass in an hour and you don't like cutting your grass, then, you know, it's not worth it. But you you, you don't want to start out with outsourcing things you enjoy. Obviously, you start to outsource the stuff you don't enjoy, the stuff that's been sitting on your to-do list for a few weeks, you know. And start small, like you said. It's, it's the domino progression. Start small, and you'll build that momentum. Like, you know, a domino can knock over a domino 50% larger than it. And he's got that thing in the book about, like, it takes only, like, when you start with a normal sized domino, 51 dominoes into it, and it's as high as Mount Everest, 57 dominoes, and you can you can knock down a domino that was as tall as the moon. And it's got that, it's kind of that whole momentum is just fo keep focusing in on what's your biggest priority, and you'll really see that momentum 
start to happen. The domino effect is one of the, if not the biggest, I think, takeaways from the book. And so he opens up, he opens up the book talking about just like the concept of the one thing, and then he jumps right into the domino effect. And it's huge. And that's why you've got your fake tattoo of a domino. Because, yeah. because the, the point of the domino effect is like, you, you've got to have, like, you've got to be focused really, really big. But then you also have to be focused really, really, really small, which is crazy, but it's crazy effective. So think about what, like, what you want out of life, like your life goals. Yeah. And then you've got to ask yourself, okay, what's the one small thing I need to be doing right now that can help me get there in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And that, that way, putting that one small thing into effect is the one small domino. And then, like you said, um, physically, one domino can knock over the next domino 50, 50% bigger. So like yeah. these dominoes are going to keep falling. And he says, if you pick the first, if you, if the first domino you pick is right, then, then the next dominoes are going to fall into place. Yeah, and that's where the focusing question comes in. You know, he always asks himself, what is the one thing that I can do to make this easy, other stuff, make this easier or the other stuff unnecessary? And it like, you really have to think on that question deeply. You just can't think about it for a couple seconds. It's got to be a question that's constantly going through your mind on your business and your life. And uh, sometimes it takes, I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about this, where sometimes he'll think about that for like four or five weeks straight, what his next move is going to be until he, until he figures it out. And um, he's really focused in a lot, it seems like the last couple of years. So I know it's working for him and it's definitely worked for me. There really are these, there really are these you know, there's not really shortcuts in life, but there, I don't know if you ever heard of the book, smart cuts. I haven't actually read it. I've just heard some people talk about it, but there really are these kind of like higher leverage activities, these levers that you can move in life. That in, if you can identify some of those levers, you'll have an easier time getting ahead. So I was, I asked this question in my business, what's the one thing I can do to make everything else easier, unnecessary. And the, the main answer that I came to was to find a coach that is doing exactly what I want to do and hire them to do it. And it's worked miraculously. And I mean, you know, you can apply that to all areas of your life, like your health. What's the one thing I can do? Well, maybe you should pay for six months of personal training right up front. Or maybe you should find um, a workout buddy and you guys owe each other 50 bucks if you don't show up that day. Like, think about what you can actually do to make systems like to keep yourself accountable and to make systems work and if you're trying to grow a massive business maybe you already have like a hundred you're making a hundred two hundred grand a year and you're starting to hire well if you can hire someone who is amazing at hiring people that deliver a high roi for your business so if you can hire someone who's a master at hiring people that bring in deal flow and pay for themselves four times over that's probably the highest leverage activity you can do for your business i learned that from the book wealth can't wait but there's these things in different areas of your life, your partnership, your kids. You got to look for them in all different areas. That's good stuff, Nate. And one of the one of the things that I struggled with as I started to get into this book was like, how can there just be one thing? And like, you can't boil your whole life down to just one thing. And that's that's not what he's trying to do. Like, he wants to set, he wants to talk about these different areas of your life. And talk about like the one thing, like overall things, like um, like big things, and then like one thing you should be doing right now, or one thing you should do over the next time frame, whether it's a week or a month. 
he's getting you to ask this question, this this question that you just mentioned. It's called the focusing question. And he spends a lot of the book talking about the focusing, focusing question. Yeah. And the general way you can ask it is what you said is what is the one thing I can do in my life such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. But there's a lot of different variations of the focusing question that will yeah. help you in all these areas. And so you can you can change the wording to be in a certain area of your life and you can change the wording to be in a certain time frame. So, for example, what's the one thing that I can do by the end of the day such that by doing it, everything else in my business will be easier or unnecessary? So you've got to ask that question and then you have to answer it. And the answering is the hard part. I mean, now now he's given us the questions to ask and you've got to answer it. And I'm sure, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably understand that if you properly answer that question, it's super powerful. You got to answer it. You got to answer it. And you're, you know, your first answer probably isn't the most highest leverage activity. You got to kind of just like think on it for a little bit. If you're, if you break it down to a daily basis, you don't want to think on it too long. You know, you want to do, you have to do something that's urgent and important kind of first, and then you do your non-urgent and important stuff next, and then you do your not important, urgent stuff third, and then you do your not important, not urgent stuff last. It's kind of a little more simple on a daily basis, but you know, you really have to look ahead to it, your one-week goals, your one-month goals, your five-year goals, your lifetime goals, and connect it, your daily activities back to that, like you said earlier. So I think, I think what you were just talking about with Stephen Covey's Time Management Grid yeah, I've never read that book, but I saw someone else put that grid up online a few years ago, and it's it's super helpful. And it's it was kind of an aha moment for me. You know, I realized I was just focusing on the urgent stuff, whereas you know you should focus on the urgent important first, but then don't go to the urgent not important. You got to go to that important not urgent. That's stuff like taking care of your health, like exercising and getting good sleep, and you know stuff that's not critical. Treating your wife and kids well. Uh, it's stuff that'll pay back major dividends rather than like all the not important urgent stuff, you know, friend asking you to go out to lunch and right now and one hour and all this just random crap. Yeah. And that was, um, that quadrant, uh, is, is on my notes for kind of the next section that he talks about in the book. So I'm glad you brought that up. And the, the, the next section in the, in the book is called the lies of success. There's six lies of success. Um, it's basically things that are popular to do or say that aren't actually true. So, for example, the first one is everything matters equally. Everything matters equally. And so what that what that can look like is if you have a to-do list and you've got just a list of things to do and one of them is a silly little task that takes five minutes and another one is like, the big project that you should be doing that's going to take 30 hours to complete, those two things don't matter equally at all. So why are they on the same list? And so what what you were just talking about, Nate, is with that time management grid that uh, Stephen Covey came up with in the seven habits of highly successful people, you know, one of the seven habits is put first things first. And so that goes right along with what Gary Keller is saying in this section of the book. And what Gary Keller says is don't have a to-do list, have a success list. And yep. and um, so to, to paint a picture of this grid, you know, imagine four uh, squares, you know, you've got these four quadrants and on one side you have uh, important and not important. At the top you have urgent and not urgent. 
and look at where these squares intersect. So your um, top priority is likely in the in the square that where urgent and important meet. Because if it's important, you should be doing it. And if it's urgent, you probably should be doing it right now. There's not, hopefully not going to be a lot in that category though. If you're doing things right, hopefully there's not too much urgency yep. with the things you're doing, unless you create your own urgency to try to get things done. Yep. But where, where you want to spend almost all of your time is the important and not urgent section. And that can be very hard to do. And I am completely guilty of this. I spend a lot of time in the not important and either urgent or not urgent section. And, and here's how, here's the trap that I've fallen into, Nate, is I've got a list, I've got a to-do list, and I'm attracted to the items I can knock out quickly because I, you know, I just get this great, like, maybe even like dopamine rush. Dopamine, Check, that's exactly what it is. You're a drug addict. Things. Yeah. Checking things off my list, I'm addicted to it. Like, I'm all about getting things done, and I'm less, I've been less focused on getting the right things done. And so when I've got, let's say I've got 10 things I want to accomplish in a day, I'll start with the eight or nine that I can knock out in a couple hours. Well, maybe they end up taking three or four, five, six hours, and then my day is kind of over and I didn't do the important thing that day. And And you feel like crap probably afterwards, even though you got some stuff done at the end of the day, you're buzzed out from all those, all that dopamine, but you don't have that deep sense of accomplishment. Absolutely. And um, and then he also talks about the 80-20 principle in this section where everything matters equally. And, you know, the 80-20 principle, I I like it a lot. I That's what that's the way I tried to design my piano course was take the yep. 80% or the 20% of the piano learning process that gives us actually 80% of the results. And that's why, you know, I wanted to try to create an extremely efficient piano course because people think that learning piano has to take years. Yep. And therefore, they don't do it. And so I wanted to make it more accessible to people. And so that, I applied the 80-20 principle to that. But the 80-20 principle can be applied to anything. And you want to to look at the 20% of your actions that cause the 80% of your results and do more of that 20%. And I think that there's one little clue for you about what what is probably a, an activity you should prioritize is something, the things you're most hesitant about or you have some fear around or you have more uncertainty around, those are you, those are actually usually typically the things that you need to be doing first. Um, you know, I've just, I've just found that for myself. I don't know if that's true for you as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if you've got a list of things to do and one of them scares you or intimidates you or makes you uncomfortable, it's so easy to just put it at the bottom of your list. But if you do that, you're probably never going to get to it. Yeah. And it's probably because you're, and you're scared about it because it's beyond what your your current capability you feel your current capabilities are. <clears throat> so if you do that, you're going to grow and you're going to be more capable. If you're growing and you're more capable and you're better at business and better person, you know you're going to have a better life. Have you ever read Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy? No. Yeah, I've never read it either. I've heard about it, and it's about. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's about you know that type of thing. Is like you've got a eating a frog on your list and like it seems daunting and kind of gross and kind of scary but like you got to do it <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a weird um it's like a weird part of life weird aspect of life of of how like the things that you know kind of suck like working out have a huge return on investment and like moving into your fear like doing stuff you don't want to do has a high return it's like this it's just like this really weird thing like we're 
stuff you don't want to do that sounds bad makes you uncomfortable actually brings like long-term happiness it seems like it would be the opposite but that's life man i mean it's it's yeah. so much better in the moment to have ice cream for dinner than a kale salad but which one's going to give you better long-term results yeah and if you tell someone do the uncomfortable stuff and you'll have a great life they're like what like you know i don't want to have an uncomfortable life i want to have a comfortable life but it's just weird. Like if you have a, I don't know, it's just some weird oxymoron thing that I've just kind of noticed more came the last couple of years. So let, let me ask you this, Nate, as somebody that's read this book several times and, you know, you seem to have your stuff together pretty well. Um, the one, one thing I'm struggling with the, with this book is, okay, if I'm going to flip my to-do list on its head and, you know, we'll call it, a, we'll call it a success list and, you know, my one thing will be on that. Um, Gary Keller talks about time blocking. And what he recommends is actually scheduling about four hours a day on your calendar to work on whatever that one thing is. Whatever the question, the answer to your um, to your focusing question is, time block four hours to get that done, right? Yeah. So when do we do the not important stuff? The other hours... Okay. And that's kind of what I was gathering was that you want to time block that four hours early as possible. Yep. And then if there's time in the day, you do that later. Yep. Later. Time block, time block the one thing first when you have the willpower, because it's hard. It's usually hard stuff you're doing and uh, you have a will, more willpower usually at the beginning of the day. So that's where he recommends for most people. And he said, you know, it's, it's so hard that you'll probably have to build up to four hours you know, start with two, then maybe, you know, eventually work yourself up to three, eventually work yourself up to four. This is a major struggle of mine. I, I have hardcore ADD and focus problems. And it's, you know, I, I've tried doing four hours and I just, I still struggle with that big time. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely critical time blocking. Cal Newport talks about this in his book, Deep Work as well. And the set, the second whole second aspect to that is to protect that time block Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of, was kind of a new concept to me. I hadn't really thought of, and that's one of the, what's one of the other huge things that really stood out from the book for me. So I have a, like a monthly review that I do now. And I, I look for distractions, things that are preventing me from doing that. My one thing or, or committing to my time block. And I try to eliminate them. So if one month I say, man, I've just been, you know, getting a bunch of promotional emails and going through there and getting caught up in some of them. And, uh, I'm just going to go through right now, spend an hour and I'm going to unsubscribe from all of them. Or I'm getting on Facebook a bunch. So right now I have the kill Facebook newsfeed extension on my Chrome browser. Um, you know, I'm getting, I'm watching a bunch of TV, cancel your cable. You, you got to look for those distractions and eliminate them. And my wife was constantly, or my kids were constantly badgering me in my office. So I just had to, you know, create a rule like, you know, if it's an emergency, then you can call me and I'll come out and help you. But otherwise, I don't want bothered at all. And if you knock, I'm going to completely ignore you. I'm going to have my headphones on with music and I won't even hear you when I'm in here working in my in my office. And, you know, I only do it for a few hours a day. So that should be fine. And it's it was hard for them at first. And I just had to keep talking to just keep reiterating that over and over again and connect it to why it's important to me so that I can commit to this thing that's helping our family and it makes it so I can be more present when I'm hanging out with them. Uh, you have to like build a bunker essentially and, and so that you can focus in on that deep work. There's another post by some venture capitalist guy that's called maker schedule versus manager schedule. That's really good at talking about that, the deep work stuff. Great. 
So just a follow-up question to what I just asked would be, if you're doing your one thing first, and when you're finished with it, you're working on maybe these smaller, not as important things, well, at that point in your day, why wouldn't you just re-ask your, your question and do your next one thing, right? Yeah. Do you want to hear my answer to that? I would love to, Nate. Uh, well, just because you can't, you'll just, you'll start to feel like crap, basically. Your health will go downhill. Like, just that's just too much willpower. And when you're off, when you're off hours, then you might, you know, be more reactive around your kids or around your family or just be so drained. You can't do, you can't show up in the outside of work the way you want to. Yeah, that makes sense. It, the only thing I would argue is that if you're that drained or whatever from work, then why would you want to even do, why, why would that make you want to do these other little things, you know? Well, I, I think that they're, it's just easy stuff, little hits of satisfaction, like you were saying. Um, you know, if once you get that deep work, that time block done, then you can just relax and just, if you have more hours in the day to work, you can take care of some easy stuff and kind of give yourself a break. Yeah. And you know, the, the more I think about it, I think my answer would be more, it, it depends on what the item is, obviously. And, and it, you know, you're thinking of certain items in your head. I'm thinking about certain items in my head. But if something's truly not important, whether it's urgent or not urgent, if it's truly not important, I think there's really only two things you should do with those items. One is not do them. Two is outsource them. Yeah. But I can think of stuff like interacting with your fans on one-on-one, -on -one, answering some emails, doing some f replying to some Facebook comments in your group, stuff like that that kind of requires your personal touch and knowledge that builds goodwill in your business. And it's not something that's easily outsourced, but it's also not like a critically important task that's really going to move your business forward in a big way that you want to set aside time blocks for. I feel like there's a few activities like that, but yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with what you're saying on that. And I don't, I don't really do that many admin stuff uh, I'm mostly just trying to focus on the big, do the biggest dominoes that I can. I'm always asking you in our calls, you know, what are the, what do you, should I focus on every week? And, and if I don't do those things, then you can probably guarantee that I didn't do any administrative stuff either. <laughs> like, you know, I, I just either kind of do those, get some of those done and some administrative stuff done, or I don't do anything because I haven't done those first. I am pretty, can good. be pretty lazy like that, but I'm definitely prioritizing the, that stuff first. That's good. I think, and I think this prioritizing stuff is huge. Like you've got to have one thing that you're trying to get done in a day. And um, if you don't get your one thing done, then you sure as heck shouldn't get, have gotten anything else done. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the key. Yeah. But and I, then the same thing applies to like the week. Like what's the one thing you want to get done this week? Okay. Yeah. So you better get that done. And if you don't, then, then it does, then you shouldn't have gotten anything else done either. Yeah. By yeah. a month, year, whatever. And I, you know, I was thinking about that again. I, I, once again, I totally agree with you on all that, all that little administrative stuff. You should probably just try and outsource it. Um, but, and then I, what I would probably focus on is just thinking about your one thing, spending the rest of the time thinking. I think, you know, as you get a higher move to a higher level of business, you need a more, little bit more time to think and plan. That's not really, you know, it's kind of a fun activity to do. So it's not one of those fearful one thing activities, but it is super critical. I know CEOs, you know, that spend more time thinking and create more space for them to think generally make better decisions. 
Well, along those lines, I think, you know, the biggest takeaway for me personally that I've, that I've come up with so far, like I said, I haven't had a lot of time to really think about this stuff and apply it as well as I'd like to. But like in terms of like an overarching one thing, you know, I really, really feel strongly about teaching and not just teaching, but teaching things in a fun and efficient way. Because in general, I think teaching is boring. I think um, people think people think like learning from a teacher is boring, especially when we're talking about like high schools and college and stuff like that. And so I like teaching, but I don't want to be that boring teacher. I want to be somebody that teaches you the things you need to know and not the things you don't. And I want to teach it in a fun way. And so if I if I say that's like what my my one overarching one thing or whatever, as far as like business goes, then are these other things helping or hurting that? And are they are these other things in line in those dominoes to get there? And when I look at responding to comments on Facebook, moderating comments here and there, I don't think that's going to be a part of it. Yeah. And and so I've just I'm thinking more and more about outsourcing that because I'm spending a lot of time each day re- replying to emails, replying to Facebook comments, replying to uh, discus comments under my videos, responding to Twitter comments. Um, I've got all these comments coming from all kind of different places. And that just comes with the territory with where I am with my online course. And yeah. I just for the things that I want to do in my life, I don't think that I'm the best person to be responding to those comments. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Gay Hendricks, he has a book called The Big Leap, and he talks about finding your zone of genius. Basically, you know, what you're best at, and the more the closer you can get to that in your life, probably the more success and abundance you're going to have long term. And, you know, that's something I've kind of been struggling with lately as we've been talking more about me, me starting to get into ads, and I'm just like, it's not my strong point. It's not my zone of genius. I would rather just like create a course and build a funnel around it. I've got ideas for a bunch more products. Maybe if I just focused on that, I wouldn't need to do the ads. But sometimes, you know, that, but that still might be the one thing that gets you to the place you need to go because you might start running those ads and then that, that gives you money in your business to start outsourcing it. And so now you're up to 10 grand a month in revenue. And now you can start hiring people to help you develop your projects. So you can keep focusing more and more on what your zone of genius is, you know, just might end up writing emails in the end and recording some videos and people edit your videos for you. They build out your funnels, they reply to comments, they do all this other stuff that's that you're not best at. That's kind of my take on that whole thing. Yeah, and I think that outsourcing is a very good way to make sure that the things that aren't that you shouldn't be doing still get done. But especially when we're talking about like online courses and stuff, people people creating online courses, most people are going to start from nothing. Um, you, you're working a normal job, and you kind of want to do this on the side, and so you don't want to invest a lot of money in it until it's working. And so you kind of have to, if that's the case, you have to just, you kind of have to do everything yourself yep. at first. Yeah. I mean, you, the, the video editing is not going to get done unless you do it or outsource it. And at the beginning, you, most people aren't going to want to outsource it. Yeah. The, the, the social media marketing is not going to get done. The, the building your funnel is not going to get done. Yeah. And so like for you, I know updating your funnel, you know, taking my funnel and filling in all the email text and all that, that's not something you were excited about. Yeah. You were you were excited about having it finished, that's for sure. Yeah. And look look what it's gotten you. Yeah. So some things are important um, to do and and are a domino. Yeah. But maybe not a task you're attracted to. Yeah. 
yeah, it's hard. It's hard to figure out that next thing because you know, I feel if I feel like if I focused in on um, creating my other stuff that I want to build and building funnels around those and launching those, you know, I might have my income up to four or five grand a week, and then you know you can start hiring a team without ever having to do ads. You just hire an ads person eventually. You know, it just takes. That's kind of why I haven't been doing as much the last couple of weeks. That's one of the reasons I've been focusing more on my farm and stuff. We've been getting busier, but you know, it's also just because I've been taking the time to wait until that one thing really surfaces and i've been journaling about it and thinking a lot about it so you're still trying to nail down what your one thing is i sort of am yeah i feel like i'm at a point where i've got a couple options and i i'm not sure which one's the best option right now well it sounds like you're going down the proper path to to try to figure it out and i think that knowing that you even need to do that is is a big piece of this and that's one of the big things that this book unlocks for people so moving, let's let's move down this list. Um, we were we were starting the lies of success. He's got these six lies of success. The first one was everything matters equally, and we talked about that for a good while. Um, the second one is multitasking. There are some people that think that multitasking is a good thing when in fact it's a very bad thing. Um, he says you lose almost thirty percent of your effectiveness when you multitask. Um, his his alternative to multitasking is to time block, which we got into that a little while ago. Actually, mm-hmm. put schedule things on your calendar um, for, for you're going to do one thing during that time and nothing else. There's a major cost to interruption when people interrupt you. It, statistically, science shows that it takes a certain amount of time to get back to the task you're on. Yeah, and with um, with a wife at home and uh, almost two year old and about to have another baby and me working from home, I've got a lot of distractions as do you. And so I think, you know, setting up boundaries, setting up rules and setting up a physical place to be able to tie block and do this deep work and all that is extremely important. It's something I'm looking forward to getting into a routine of at my new house. You know, we're still in the move in phase, um, getting settled in. So I'm still focused on that part of things. And my one thing I'm making sure to do in my business right now is take these phone calls. But once all this settles down, I'm looking forward to getting in a routine of time blocking, setting one things for a day and stuff like that, you know? Yep. The next uh, lie of success is you must have lots of discipline. You know, people talk about, um, you know, it's all about discipline, this and that. Instead, Gary Keller talks about habits. And um, he talks a lot about um, how you know, the science supports that it's 66 days, roughly 66 days to form a habit. And so you've got to be really disciplined in the process of forming that habit. But then once the habit is formed, it's, it requires a lot less discipline and it's almost, I mean, depending on what it is, it's almost on autopilot. Once you get through that, that habit phase. It's an important thing to learn more about, you know, building habits, uh, and using the one thing, what is the one habit I can form next that's going to make the biggest impact in my life? And then learning about the science of habits, like triggers, there's certain things you can do. Like, you know, every time I wake, when I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth or I put my workout clothes on first thing in the morning. You can like set up your life to trigger habits to be easier to implement. Absolutely. And um, I think, you know, you don't want to try to do like set too many habits at once. You know, the yep. best thing is to figure out one thing at a time. Yep. But then once you can get, that one thing to be a habit after that 66 days or whatever it is for that particular thing, then let's work on that. The next one. Yeah. So to give you an example, at the beginning of this year, I decided I wanted to run one mile a day, every day, one mile. And I, I mean, I ran cross country in high school. I hadn't been running, um, in, a, in really a few years. And I was actually, um, 
going to do a 10K with some friends, like in, I think it was in March. And I started, and I was running one mile a day every day. And, you know, I read a book last year, and it talked about how, it talked about the power of, like, doing things daily. And yeah. like always doing things. And like people say like, oh, you can't like you can't do anything every single day. And it's like, well, if you think about it, like most people brush their teeth every day. Like that's not negotiable. Like yeah. you sleep every day. That's not negotiable. Like you eat something every day. So there's things you do that happen every day. You're just not as conscious about it, maybe. And yeah. so why not be able to do these other things every day? Yeah. And so. Um, I ran a mile every day and I did that for like three months and maybe I didn't quite get to the like habit stage because once, once my life started to get a little chaotic with like moving and stuff that fell off the wagon, but it was a very small thing. I mean, it, it I mean, when I first started doing it, it, I was doing like 13 minutes and then, you know, when I, after three months of it, I was doing nine or 10 minutes for one mile. So that's, that's a very small part of your day. Yep. Um, but I think that's the type of thing we're talking about here when you say, okay, like health-wise, what's one thing I can do yep. every day? Yep. And those are the keystone habits. Health is like the major one, you know, your, your, your sleep, your eating, and your um, exercise. Those are, those are huge for your business and life in general. Let's, uh, let's talk about willpower next. The four lie of success is willpower is, is on will call. Um, and, and Gary Keller says that willpower is actually a finite resource. And I've heard a lot about that. I've heard people talk about that on podcasts and whatnot. And apparently it's backed up by science and everything. And yep. so you just have a limited amount of willpower each day. So given that, let's do, you know, that's just more reason to do the most important thing first. Yep. When you make a decision, it actually uses some glucose in your body for energy. Really? Yep. It takes energy. It takes glucose energy. And this is another struggle of mine because I'm I'm on a very restricted diet for my Crohn's disease, so I have to you know have a lot of willpower things that I have to deal with usually in the evening. So that's why I reserve my most important work for the beginning of the day because if I get around evening time, I'm more screwed for sure. Yeah, and so it's like we have it's like we have a, a limited number of like decisions that we can make for ourselves each day, and like. Yeah, maybe it's easy to say no to the chocolate cake for breakfast, but if the chocolate cake's on the counter all day and you constantly have to say no to it all day, and then by the end of the day, it's like, I literally don't have any willpower left. Like, it's yep. gone. Like, give give me the whole thing. Yep. Yep. Do do what you can do so you don't have to make decisions. It's That comes down to building the habits like we talked about earlier. You could decide, <laughs> I'm going to wear the exact same thing every day to work. I'm going to eat the exact same thing for breakfast every morning. And, you know, you, then you enter into your work for the day with, with a full bank account of willpower. Yeah. And, um, have you, have you heard of or read the miracle morning? Yeah, I've read it actually. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, uh, also a very short book and, and very straight to the point, but the point is that along these lines, like willpower is, is limited and, um, you're going to be, uh, have the most attention and everything at the beginning of your day. And also if you do the right things at the beginning of your day, you're going to set yourself up so much more for success the rest of the day. Yep. So what are the little things that we can do very first thing in the morning yep. that will set us up for success? So this guy, Hal Elrod, who wrote the book, um, like studied really successful people and wanted to figure out what are the common things that these people do each day um, that we can replicate and let's just do them all right in the morning. And, uh, and there's six things. Uh, do you remember what those six things are? Uh, the six things he recommended. Yeah. 
uh, meditation, I think, affirmation, some sort of movement, exercise, um, probably proper fuel of your body. I don't, I don't know if I remember the rest. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't note them down here, but I'm, I'm looking them up. Um, so silence is one of them, which is you know meditation or prayer, uh, affirmations you mentioned, um, exercise you mentioned, and then the other three are visualization. So that's the whole, I guess, like the secret thing. That's like, super kind of powerful. Visualize, visualizing your goals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, writing or journaling is one of them, and then reading. Yeah. So he recommends doing those six things. Um, taking about an hour each morning as like the first thing you do. So that's that's something you can do, and that could be like your one thing is doing your, your the miracle morning each morning. And I've I've tried to get into that. You know, I've I've gone through little stints, but I certainly haven't made it a habit. But I think yeah. that's that's a very good thing. Yeah, me too. I've I've struggled to make that a habit. I read it like a year and a half ago, and I tried a few different times to get my miracle morning dialed in. But it's it's kind of tricky because. You know, you're trying to kind of do like five new things at once. It feels like sometimes um, it's pro- probably be a better strategy to just start with one of those things for, like Gary says, for go. three months and then try to then add a second one and eventually build it up to those five or six things you're doing every morning. And visualization yes. is super powerful, man. A really good book about that is called Psycho Cybernetics. I don't know if you've heard of that book. So classic. And it's uh, it's a pretty amazing book. Cool. We're going to have to have some detailed show notes in this episode, yeah. I think. So in terms of the miracle morning, I think uh, trying to apply the miracle morning to the one thing, um, I agree. You probably don't want to say, hey, tomorrow morning I'm doing my the miracle morning for two hours and I'm going to you know knock it dead and then whatever, because you're just, that's not going to be sustainable. It's hard to, it's hard to do like big things. You, you got to start small and kind of work yourself up. So I think that your approach, Nate, where you say, okay, let's pick one of these six things and do it every morning for like three months and then add a second one, that's perfectly viable. And the other thing you could try is doing all six things, but a really, really, really short version of yep. the six things. I'm talking about like a minute of each thing. So get up, you know, let's do six, uh, let's do 10 push-ups, and then let's um, let's read for, for a minute or two and then let's write for a minute or two um, do, do each of those six things. And then, you know, in 10 minutes you've done these things and then you can build that time up. Yep. And I think a major shortcut to doing all this stuff is accountability, which I think we'll be talking more about later. I don't know how much later we've, uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're over an hour to be a two-parter. episode. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to do that. Let's, uh, let's make this a two-parter, Nate. Let's finish up the six, uh, lies of success. Yeah. And then we'll uh, we'll have to finish the rest of the book on next week's episode. Yeah. So the after willpower, the fifth one is a balanced life. And you started to talk about this a little bit a little while ago. And this was really interesting because he's not advocating like the traditional work life balance. Yeah. And he talks about counterbalance and really separating the two of them. And this is one of the more confusing sections I found I agree. in the book. I, I'm still not. Um, exactly sure what to do with it. I know one big takeaway is is the you know you hear the expression like work hard, uh, play hard. You know the the biggest takeaway I was able to get out of it is like okay, let's time block stuff. Let's when when you're doing one thing, only do that one thing. So when it's when it's the the one thing you're doing for your business, there you go. And then when you're when you're with your family, be with your family. Don't check emails. Don't 
you know, don't do anything else. Do, you need to be doing that one thing when it's time to do that one thing. Yeah, this was a, this is a confusing part for me too. I'd I probably have to reread it to really to maybe try and understand it again. But yeah, I see what you're saying. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like you know, if you're doing one thing in this critical area, then one thing in this critical area, then you know, health, wealth, relationships, all your vital areas. It seems like you kind of would be balanced in the end. That's I'm I'm unsure what he means in that section. It may just be a problem of terminology. I think that. Um... For me, you know, a lot of times since I work from home, a lot of times I'll take my laptop into the living room and just like I'll be around everybody, but I'll still be quote unquote working. Yeah. And I'll be maybe that's what he's talking about. It's like I'm trying to balance at that point. But by doing that, I'm not giving any one thing the attention it needs. Yeah. But I understand what he's saying. Like if you are super focused in your life and you're not doing the non-important urgent stuff, it it kind of keeps pecking away at you and you need to know you need to kind of notice that and brush it off uh, pretty consistently and kind of embrace chaos in certain other areas of your life. Maybe your house is a little more sloppy or, you know, your stuff like that, your whatever you think is the, is the not important aspects of your life. It'll kind of all be a little more sloppy. The last lie of success is big is bad. And he was talking about how it's okay to to just kind of dream big and have really big goals. And one of the things he says is only those who are crazy enough to believe they can change the world ever do. And not that I'm not that I'm like changing the world or anything, but I remember when like when I first got the idea for piano in twenty one days, um, I was I was still working my, my full-time job and everything. And I was thinking about what I made there and what my wife made and like, what would be a really comfortable income and things like that. And I was, I remember just casually talking to my wife about how cool it would be to make $10,000 a month from this. Yeah. And I mean, she thought that was the craziest thing she'd ever heard, like an online piano course making $10,000 a month. But I, I thought, I mean, I really thought it was possible. And I mean, I thought it was possible a lot faster than I ended up doing it too. Yeah. And I don't think I was properly focused or I could have gotten there quicker. But um, four or five years later, um, my, my you know, Piano in 21 does, does get me 10, 10 grand a month plus, um, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, the book, The Magic of Thinking Big, I don't know if you've heard of that book. Yeah. Um, it was pretty kind of life-changing for me. And, and Tim Ferriss talks about that too, how, um, you know, you do what you want to dream really big, have these big goals. And, you know, if you think about like, I want to 10X my business. If you're making, since you're making 10,000, you made 10,000 bucks, $11,000 or whatever last month in profit. You think how next year I want to make $100,000 a month in profit. What do I need to do to get there? Yep. And then you write, come up with a plan, exactly what you need to do to get there. And then you start working on that plan. You break it down into daily tasks. And a good chance, there's going to be a good chance you don't get there, but you will have stretched yourself. And you might get 20% of the way there, or you might get 50% of the way there. But either either way, you're you're really expanding yourself constantly to have to, to try and get there. And you'll be amazed what you can accomplish in, you know, a year or a lifetime, when it, even if it feels like you're not getting things done on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. So what you're saying is like, let's say somebody's making 10, 10 grand a month and they set a goal to make 100 grand a month next month. Well, you've got to, you got to, you got to figure out how you're going to do that. It's not just going to happen by luck or chances are it's not going to happen. Yeah. 
So you you can you can map out how that's going to happen, and it's not like I mean unless you're just like completely stupid, it, you're not going to go backwards. Yeah. Like even if you don't hit that hundred grand, you're probably going to get like halfway there or even a quarter there. And so let's say you, you're you were only got ten percent of the results you were looking for. Well, that takes you from ten grand to twenty grand. Yeah. And that instead of 10xing your business, you doubled it. Well, you still made progress. And yeah. I think that's the focus of the magic of thinking big and, and the focus of this this lie of success in the one thing that he calls big is bad. Yeah. Yeah. I when I got back from the ClickFunnels conference, I I wrote out someone there gave a talk and it made me write out a whole thing, you know, what what do I need to do this year to take my business to a million dollars? What would it be my million dollar plan? to get to be on the path to earning, you know, a million dollars a year, $2,700 a day, what would I need to do? And I wrote out that whole plan and, you know, I'm sort of doing that plan. I'm starting to do, uh, you know, chip away at that plan and starting to see some results. So that's good. So part of it is figuring out what that is that you want to get to, right? It's not going to be a million dollars a year for everybody, Yeah. but you got to figure out what that is for you. And then we've got to break it down to these dominoes that are going to help us get there. And it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to figure out every single domino. Yeah. But the most important thing is that you know where the end, the end look, what the end looks like, and then what the beginning looks like. So what do you think someone's domino is, should be if they want to create and sell an online course? What should the first domino be? Yeah. Well, I think that you have to ask yourself what the, you know, you've got to figure out what your overarching one thing is. You don't want to. You don't want to start down a path that you didn't actually want to go down. Well, I've got a. I've got a straightforward answer on for this one. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. Let me let me just think about that. And so, <laughs> so then the, the the question you're asking is what's the what's the first domino? What's the um, yeah? What's the what should be the person's one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary if they decide they want oh, to okay. create an online course to to sell? Yeah, so you go to the onlinecourseguy.com and you grab the quick start guide. I would just write Jacques and tell him you'll pay him 500 bucks a month to coach you. That was pretty close to what I was going to say, or $1,000 a month or however much he charges. Like, If you can afford it, that is by far the one thing you can do 100% to, uh, to make yourself successful. I think yeah, so- paying, paying money is, is really – it's one of – it's the one thing – you can do one of the biggest leverage things you can do for a lot of areas of your life, like health, your partnership, you know, going to a marriage therapist or whatever every month, health, hiring a personal trainer, um, business, finding a really good Keystone employee. A lot of times the one, the, the big one things, the big dominoes do involve spending some money. Absolutely. Let me, let me give you a good example of, of that and dominoes. Um, a few months ago, I was thinking about putting a, a book in the Kindle store related to my piano course. And so um, I took a course on Udemy uh, by Nick Loper, and um, and I wanted some personal attention, so I, I scheduled a consulting call with him, and I paid for that. And um, it wasn't that call that was so valuable. It's it's you know at the end of the day we talked about my business. He was like, hey, let's have you on my podcast, and um, and that's the, the dominoes that have fallen from being on his podcast has been awesome. I mean, I met you through that. Yep. And then I was asked to be on other podcasts. I was asked to be interviewed in NerdWallet because the lady had heard me on the podcast. Yep. And then Tim Ferriss linked to that NerdWallet article. And then I got a bunch of traffic from that. Yep. And so the dominoes keep falling from that 
from scheduling that one call with Nick Lowe. Oh yeah, it's it's paid you back big time already. You made all those sales for Tim Ferriss fans last week. I mean, by far made your money back. And I'm hoping dominoes still kind of keep falling yep. from that. That'd be really cool. Yep. Well, this was a good conversation, I would say, Nate. I'm I'm glad that um I'm glad we chose this book. I think we could talk about a lot of other books too, but I'm glad we chose this one first. Yep. And I think we're about halfway done talking about it. So we'll, uh, we'll call it quits for this episode and let's, let's resume next week, uh, for part two of, of talking about the one thing. And so, um, any, any, any follow-up thoughts or anything from part one? Just, uh, go out and get your domino tattoos and pick up the book (laughs) and uh, you'll be good to go and hire Jacques. If you're going to, if you've been listening to all the podcasts and you're dead set on starting an online course, you might opt in for his quick start guy, but I would personally just email him and say, man, how much do you want me to pay you personally to coach you over the phone? I'll give you a thousand dollars an hour and uh, that's going to get you there the quickest. <laughs> I appreciate the plug for that, Nate. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, where can people find you online, Nate? You can find me at natedodson.com or microgreensfarmer.com. And if anybody wants to learn more about the piano, there's a great online piano course at piano in 21 days.com. But uh, more importantly, probably for this audience, if you want to learn more about starting your own online course from whatever, whatever hobby or passion that you have, then head over to the online course guy.com. I've got a free quick start guide there for you. It's got the eight steps to turning your hobby or passion into an online course. And otherwise we'll see you next week for part two of the one thing by Gary Keller. And so appreciate it, Nate. We'll talk next week. All right. See you next week.